this jump from this conscious effort of driving the change to moving to unconscious competency that everyone in the organization has is where we really need to focus on. Welcome to The Digest from Diversely, where we take a frank, direct look at the stories of global allies, activists and advocates of diversity and inclusion, understanding their journey and motivations to make the world a more diverse and inclusive place to be, as well as the ways in which they're currently doing just that. So my name's Hayley Bucker, and I've been active in the DNI space for many years. I'm the co-founder of Diversely, a tech platform that helps businesses achieve better diversity and I can't promise we'll get everything right or cover every angle on this podcast. But one thing I can promise is that we'll learn together ways to make better approaches to the sometimes tricky and deep topic. So Magda has spent most of her career working for British American Tobacco in supply chain, logistics and procurement roles across the globe. Through her career working as a woman in a mainly male-dominated environment, she's grown passionate about diversity and inclusion, joining the VAT DNI working group to pave the way for other non-British women and mothers who are navigating the organization and wider industry. We're very pleased to welcome Magda on the Digest to share her story for others to learn from and delve into what she's seen working well and perhaps not so well to improve diversity and inclusion globally. Welcome, Magda. Hello. Hi, Heidi. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Thanks so much. It was really exciting uh, to have you on. One of the themes for 2023 I've noticed is collaboration. It's something that came up in our first conversation. What has made you start sharing your story recently? Well, I think I'm in a um, career and personal life point where I've collected enough experiences and observations and thoughts that I think could be useful for others out there. And uh, maybe if sharing, if there is at least one person that can be inspired or can use it for, for their benefit, that's just fantastic. It's part of our leadership roles. I'm so glad. And that is exactly what the Digest is all about, sharing stories, different perspectives from around the world. So thanks so much for joining. For our listeners, would you mind just sharing a bit about your own background? Where are you now? Where are you recording from? Where did you grow up? And perhaps a little bit about your career trajectory to where you are now. So I'm sitting now with you to the English countryside in Norfolk, where I moved a few months ago from busy London, where I spent um, over 10 years working and studying with a few year break for my assignment for work to South America. But I've grown up in communist Poland, so that has definitely had some impact on my ways of working, ways of thinking, which can be useful in some situations. Uh, we like to work hard and uh, aim high, but at the same time, we tend to sometimes ignore hierarchy and class systems. So uh, <laughs> some ups and downs, but definitely uh, something, uh, a big impact of where I come from on where I am now. 
And in my career, most of my 20 years career in multinational organizations and in the last uh, chapter in British American Tobacco with various roles across operations. And I'm currently managing the procurement team in the West side of the world, including Americas, but not US, most of Europe and uh, Africa. Yeah, that's what we do. That's amazing. And I remember when we first met, you were actually telling me and we bonded over the fact that you were in Chile, uh, I think, managing and leading a factory over there. So it sounds like the roles you've taken within that across that kind of that end-to-end operations space, you've picked probably some of the least gender diverse areas traditionally within businesses. <laughs> what do you think led you down that path and why don't you think we see as many women in these areas traditionally uh, and perhaps some tips on how have you navigated that role if you have yeah so factory manager role in chile has been one of the really most exciting ones i had uh, for my 20 years working operations and probably one of the most unexpected opportunities that um, was offered to me i would never have thought that i would be walking through the factory floor and managing the machinery and, um, you know, operators. It has been a really, really rewarding opportunity as well. And I really recommend to everyone when you have an opportunity to do something new out of your comfort zone, to look at this and um, come approach it with the courage, curiosity, and see where it takes you. As long as those roles open more doors for you, um, they are great things to look at. Definitely, 100% agree on that. I can't imagine that most people in these kind of roles, you know, they might come from an engineering background or something like that. I think you come much more from a kind of business and marketing background. How did the people on the floor respond to you? I don't think it has been the most uh, expected uh, appointment, but I think that, you know, we all appreciated that we can contribute with different points of view and different experiences. And as long as you create together a one team that has all the critical experiences among all of us, not within one person, that makes us perform together as a, as a team. And, you know, with this opportunity, I decided to took a, take a mindset that um, it's a leadership role, not an engineering role. And I do need very good and strong engineers around me, but I can contribute with my leadership things and some ideas of how things could be done differently look at the opportunities and and it has been a, a very rewarding journey for all of us. Great. I mean, you definitely bring diversity of perspective to a role compared to probably what, what they usually see showing up. So I can 100% relate to that. It sounds like you like to almost like prove people or societal norms wrong by taking these kind of steps and going, of course I can do this. Uh, you're also a mother of two, of which one is still a baby, and you've been operating in a really senior leadership role. Uh, within that perspective, what are some of the, the challenges that you've faced within being a working mom or a working parent? You know, it, it goes across both. 
Yeah, I think those challenges that we face as working parents are very different and depend on our personal circumstances, right? For some of for us, for some of us, it could be you know working hours. For others, it could be the uh, lack of uh, support from from the family. But I think the most common one, and that for me has been also the the, the biggest challenge, has been how to navigate through the dual careers and how to fulfill the expectations, ambitions of two smart individuals who want to achieve something, but not at the cost of their relationship and not at the cost of their children. For me personally, that's the challenge that I empathize the the most. And me and my husband found our own way going around it. But it is a a very big challenge how to combine those two individuals, especially when those senior roles some international travel comes um, on the table and especially when you start having children. So I think that, you know, as long as you have the support, supporting partner, as long as you look at this as a balance of two individuals and then family rather than one getting everything and then somebody else sacrificing everything, there is always a, a way to find it, organize it well so everyone is happy. Well, that's amazing. And especially given that you've moved the family around to also, you know, it's challenging enough being in one place, but you've moved continents during that process as well. So clearly you and your partner have worked something out that works well. I think one article that I saw you shared on LinkedIn that came out recently is careers after babies report that I just wanted to reflect on with you because I think it's such a timely topic. I think some of the key points from that report were that women after having babies, you know, 85% of them drop out of full-time roles, that in leadership positions, especially they go down mostly to more admin type roles, but also things that women tend to take pay cuts after having babies and men get pay increases after having babies. How did you reflect on that report yourself from your experience? Yes, I came back from maternity around six months ago. So it is a very fresh topic in my own reflections and I'm still digesting it, to be honest. You know, how not to become part of the sad statistics, but at the same time, uh, to perhaps not to make the same mistakes I've done with the first child and be able now to to offer myself and my time to both of them, as well as my partner, we found feeling that I do need to sacrifice on my career. And to be honest, you know, that, that's not the easiest period of um, in young parents' life. And I think we often underestimate how much is happening in our heads uh, and on the top of what's happening at home and at, at work. And I think there is this point at which you just feel you have no other option and you need to sacrifice instead of compromise. Uh, so I would hope that there is a way of going around it. And I would hope that the only... that. The only way of going around it is not to set up your own business, which seems to be the solution for a lot of young women. Because, you know, not every not mom has a desire to set up their own business. Not every mom is even in the industry or a profession that allows for that. 
And I personally really, really hope that I'm able to create work environment when working moms, despite being part of big organizations and working moms, despite, uh, you know, having very demanding jobs, can still feel fulfilled on both sides and avoid this feeling that there is always someone who we just let down. So I am on a mission and I hope that... uh, well, you know, one by one, step by step, we will get there and create nice role models, nice stories that will help other other ladies to follow. Fantastic. And I think just by sharing these stories and speaking about it and letting all those women, but sometimes also men who might be feeling that way, know that it's okay to feel overwhelmed, that it is part of the process. And then as an industry, see how we can adjust towards that. Because you're so right. I speak to quite a few people on the on the digest, a lot of whom, after becoming a parent, have started working for themselves because it's the easiest, obvious way to create the flexibility that you need. Obviously, it will be better if we could create that similar or same flexibility within the large organizations that we're working in. I mean, you're currently living in the UK and the UK has gone through quite a lot of public visible struggle for affordable and accessible childcare, which is just one of the components, I guess, in that solving for challenges. There was the March for Mummies, and I think most recently also a teacher strike. How do you look at these movements being in the UK, and have you been taking part or have you been impacted by any of those? Well, like I said, that I'm very fortunate to have the, you know, those in, invisible support hands at home who are always there when I need it, yes. And yesterday yeah. our little baby was sick, couldn't go to the nursery. And all what it meant to me was that there was one meeting when I had to bring my baby with me. But other than that, there is always someone who can step in and magically resolve all those childcare problems um, around me. But I, I know that that's not the case for a lot of people. And it honestly makes me feel sad, right? Because it feels like the people who need this help the the most are the ones who don't have access to it and the ones who possibly can afford a different level of uh, solutions are possibly the ones that don't need it right because they they kind of are in charge of their own agendas in charge of their own timings and don't feel also bad about bringing a child to, to the meeting right so i think that i'm quite fortunate on both personnel and professional side where I just walk around it, make it work. But I hope that we also can create with those little examples and encourage the behaviors where it's okay for for everyone to take a day off when the child is sick, to to bring your children to work when, uh, when you need it, to work from home for one or two weeks when there is a half term break and you cannot afford and entertainment for your children. If everyone has this mindset and this empathy of what's happening in households who have perhaps less income or households who don't have the the network support that some of us are fortunate to have, with this little compassion element, we could really drive a big uh, difference so everyone feels a little bit better. Sometimes the barriers are in our own heads, right? What do I do? Rather than, well, the, there is lots of options you can consider. It just depends how you feel about this and how others will react to what you do. 
You're so right. <laughs> it is both ways, right? You know, there is what is accepted or not accepted within organizations or a society, but there's also your assumption of what might be within the realm of possible or impossible. I love that you you took your child to a meeting. It's great that you felt that that was possible. I think a lot of people will have preconceived ideas of what a tobacco company is like, for example. And you've been working there for 15 years. You've given us quite a few great examples of what is possible. Can you share what it's like working there and what's kept you within that organization for such a long time? Yeah, I feel that we very often penalize some companies just because what we think what they are. And sometimes we also reward the other companies for just the image which is there simply because of you know the logo that they have or the product that they offer but those two things are disconnected and not necessarily linked to how it feels to work for these organizations and how inclusive um, the environment is so in my own mind you know what drives the inclusivity and uh, and diversity um, are people with whom you work in this organization. And, you know, it comes from the top management, but also your leadership team, your line manager, your own colleagues and peers. And I think that it creates in those, especially in the big organizations, you work within those little ecosystems and bubbles that sometimes can be also and feel very different depending in which bubble within the organization you, you are. So I've just been very, very lucky to be surrounded by those supportive people who were um, building on, on my strengths, helping everyone contribute with their cultural backgrounds, with their variety of experiences. You know, mentoring and sponsoring are the things that always help to navigate through all types of cultures and, and organizations. And yeah, I would encourage everyone to take an effort to understand the organization rather than judge it from the, from the outside. And then make sure that you are part of the environment which you really fit in and you can fit the best built, built on your strengths. You're so right about that. Those industry preconceived notions. You know, there's a reason why people go, "Oh, big tech. Uh, let's say uh, Google or Amazon. Oh, that must be such an inclusive environment where it's a massive organization. Really depends where you're working and and you know what you're looking for in an organization. So it's great for you to break down. You know, tobacco industry isn't one thing. It isn't diverse or non-diverse. It's a huge ecosystem and every part is different. And you as a leader, I think one thing that I've heard you speak about in the past is inclusive leadership. What does that mean for you and how are you going about bringing that inclusive leadership to your part of that ecosystem? I think inclusive leadership is linked to understanding your own strengths, understanding how those strengths can be translated into the team contribution, then having the same applied for your own team members, having the same applied for the your colleagues that you form one organization. And once you understand those strengths and contributions, you can then see 
how you can all work together as one organism for the benefit of the company and for the benefit of your own growth as well, right? And I'm a big, big supporter of building on our strengths rather than focusing on areas to develop because everyone has something that is just not something which is your top characteristic. And it's fine as long as what you bring to the table is really recognized, is also what the company or the team needs because of other people can perhaps cover for those areas which are not at your best, then that's how you work as a diverse and inclusive team, right? You support each other and benefit from each other. I think very early on my stage of, of my career, I've been told, look at your capabilities as a tent, right? And there will be some, you know, poles that make the stand really high and really great and really fantastic space to be at. And there will be some elements of the stand somewhere in the corner, which perhaps are not so impressive. But then it's in your power to say, therefore, building on what I have in my hands, how do I make it a really solid, sustainable, impressive structure and making sure that those big pillars and in front and center of what everyone sees, what everyone enjoys. And then you just need to make sure that those things that the which are maybe a little bit smaller, don't go completely to the floor, right? So, (laughs) you know, they don't need to be impressive, but they need to be there, even the small ones. And that's something, a metaphor that stayed with me for a very, very long time. I love the TED metaphor. I am so stealing that from you and adding it to my vocabulary. It's fantastic. And, And I think a lot of people need to hear that. I come from a consulting background within big four. And I know one thing that even in my early stages of career, I always felt, why do we have all these development points? And, you know, we were all being judged on a set of the same criteria. We all had to fit the same mold. Why did we all need to fit that same mold? Why did we all have to be at the same level across all of these skill sets? Why can't we just go, okay, Haley is great at this part. You know, this other person, John is good at this part. We've worked together, right? And I think that very much aligns with the, the tent metaphor and how you've gone about this. So thanks for sharing. I think that's a great way of conceiving this in a visual way. I know based on your experience, you've actually also been a part of the diversity and inclusion working groups within the organization. Is that right? Yes, I've been part of the DNI focus group for operations prior to going on maternity. Okay. So can you share a bit about what are the priorities that you've been focusing on and some of the initiatives that might have come out of that working group or focus group? Yeah, I think that in BAT, we focus on various elements of diversity, not gender only, uh, which we think are really essential for the company's success. The part I was involved in particular was the gender element because it's so relevant for operations functions where I work. And there has been a really great cross-functional team set up as a group of contributors helping the senior leadership team to understand not only where we are but why and also not where we could 
get, but also how. So I think it has been a, a really good initiative to listen to, to a, a selected group, a group of people from various parts of the function so we could collectively come up with the best strategy and recommendations. And there have been really great ideas coming out from this group that most of them, the leadership team, has been very open to pilot you know, the sponsorship programs, which would complement the mentoring programs, the stay interviews to complement the exit interviews so people understand what's happening in people's mind and satisfaction level before they make a decision to leave. Some great mandatory trainings and diversity trainings, not for those who want to do it, but for absolutely every manager in the function and the trainings that completion is tracked and monitored. So they have been really a variety of little points that we said, that sense, pools make a pools check, how the organization is reacting and what is the feedback. So, yeah, and consequently, there has been a three to five years um, right glide path set up for all head of functions to look at, set up the realistic plans, how to get there. And it's monitored on a very regular basis where we are and what else could be done. Oh, it's great to hear an organization that's gone about this with such a broad sponsorship, which I think is key, right? This can't be driven just by a group of individuals who are passionate about it. It has to be widely driven. And the fact that it's being monitored closely across is fantastic to hear as well. Clearly, this is something that you're also personally really passionate about. If you look um, beyond just your role as a leader within your space, how have you personally been affecting that change to progress DEI? and i I try to be a, a role model. In my team, I have over 100 people and I cover multiple geographies and I'm part of the leader global leadership team. So I think even within our environment, there is a lot we can do just by simply role modeling, right? What are the good practices when managing and navigating through your career? What are the potential hiccups you should avoid? What are the lessons learned from other people with whom we interacted in the past? So even those little chats, either in one-to-one or a medium, small size conversations on larger town halls, I think it's something that is making a difference and making others think about, okay, how do I navigate through my career so I can uh, I can feel successful? And, um, you know, I try to read a lot about this as well and even just sharing insightful articles or a book, books that really made a difference. If you are not passionate about this topic, the likelihood of you having a look into those type of reads is limited. But if it comes from a senior leader and is sent as a recommended read or a peer or a colleague, and if it's just two or three minutes, it increases the awareness and the likelihood that someone will have a peek and maybe it will spark a thought and oh that's interesting and it happened a lot we also have those kind of little um, have some practices best practices which we apply for the talent management process different types of hats 
that you put when we discuss our talent pools. And I was sometimes assigned with this diversity hat. There are other hats that other people can have, you know, making sure that we don't put anything on the parking lot and for offline discussions, or that you make sure that you put difficult points on the agenda. And in this DNI hat, you are responsible to call out some possible biases or silenced comments or loud comments <laughs> that are perhaps against our DNI strategy. And given the permission and giving this official hat in a meeting uh, when we're discussing our talent, really opens you the doors to say what you see and what you hear and clarify rather than think how do I go around it without upsetting anyone and is it the right time or moment or am I the right person to raise the point? So I think they are really small things that can make a big difference. I think it's really smart to have those hats because you're not only saying it's okay to call out these things, you're actually saying it's your role to call out yeah. these things. And I think they chose the right person to wear that hat, Magda. <laughs> <laughs> smart, smart. When you look at the wider industry, not necessarily just BAT, but the wider industry and the multinationals, what do you see as the greatest challenges ahead when it comes to diversity and inclusion? I think like any other change management that we go through, there is a tendency in those big corporations to set up those small groups, to invest money or to put some resources to work on it. And it's great because it empowers the organization to drive. It shows the commitment in terms of allocating the resources and time. But I think the, the challenge coming from it is how to transition from having this small pockets of DNI expertise and small groups of really passionate about driving change, how to translate it into something more scalable and something more sustainable, uh, which doesn't need anymore this intervention of the DNI groups, right? Ideally, we don't have any targets. Ideally, we don't need even DNI strategy because it is in our DNA, it is embedded into our ways of working and processes and procedures. And I think this jump from this conscious effort of driving the change to moving to unconscious competency that everyone in the organization has is where we really need to focus on in those large-scale organizations. It doesn't depend on one, two, even 10 people. And as people change, how do we make sure that the progress we've made over the last two, three years is not lost because of the people changes and advocate changes within the top leadership positions? Exactly. Exactly. And that's a challenge so many businesses are having at this point in time. There's a will to do the right thing. It's happening in pockets. But how do we make it systemic? How do we make it stick? And yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's definitely a, 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 an area where we bonded. That's what Diversely tries to focus on as well. You know, bringing these best practices, making them through technology, part of how an organization operates every day. You know, if you could make three recommendations on how DNI is done and how can we make it stick, what would those three things be? <laughs> 
from Magda perspective, from yes. an from an employee perspective, also from the leader perspective, how you know how we could work and drive the change as leaders. So on both receiver and and a giver <laughs> and I think I would focus on three things which for me are our priority. One what I would like to avoid is something which happens in some conversations where we try to fix women rather than fixing um, the culture or leadership or uh, corporate systems around. And it's tempted, you can be tempted to say, you know, let's not, women shouldn't play the victim and be in charge and take control over their careers and DNI. But if it was that easy, you know, it wouldn't take us decades to make small percentage points um, progress. We are smart enough and we are brave, courageous and, you know, curious enough to go there. But we just need this little help around to really progress without making those sacrifices that we are not ready to do. Number two, I think, with my operations mindset <laughs> this time is that we focus on measuring and tracking the input measures rather than the output measures, right? Because that's the way how I think we can drive the sustainable results and how we can really address the root cause of potential challenges, which can be very different in different organizations. So just to illustrate that, you know, rather than measuring a percentage female talent in a um, defined leadership group or in a defined function, let's try to understand what would make a difference, right? And it could be the budget spent on executive education for female talent, right? And if we think that this is one of the career drivers in your organizations, then let's define it as one of the KPIs. If the international assignment is something that opens the doors to senior positions in your company, then let's track how many of international assignments are offered to the female talent. So just two examples in terms of how you can move from tracking and measuring the outputs to measuring the inputs which will then consequently deliver what you are after, yes? And then the final thing uh, is, you know, this element that, you know, sometimes we see those waves of enthusiasm and waves of change environment where we say we need to deal with it, we need to make a progress, we're not good enough. And then it's this in this periodic moment where everyone builds the momentum to drive a change. And I think that, you know, having a steady but consequent positive change uh, and avoiding the setbacks is so much more important than making those radical changes in a very short period of time, because it can be very, very demotivating to both female talent, but also everyone who cares about diversity and inclusion to have a progress, year-on-year -year progress. And then something happened in the organization where in a short period of time, perhaps, you know, female talent is leaving the organization or moving somewhere around, or we have a different wave of promotions and changes. And suddenly, despite everything what we've done, we are back 
to the results which we had, you know, five or three uh, years ago. So avoiding those setbacks, I think, is more important than actually making a rapid progress. Thank you, Magda. I think three really good points. So change the systems, not the underrepresented talent. Measure input that leads to output, not just focusing on the end goal, but how do we achieve that? And are we using the right levers to change? And then finally, making sure that you have steady, slow progress and focusing not only on you know, attracting and promoting underrepresented talent, but also keeping them within the organization, making sure you don't lose them at the back end of the process. I love how you brought your operations hat to that conversation. (laughs) Uh, There is no other way. 20 years in operations, you know. That's who you are, Magda. No, thank you so much. I think there's so much that we could have learned from this conversation. I really loved having you on and thank you for your time. Thank you very much for the invite and I hope you have great conversations moving on. I'm looking forward to listening to other guests. So thank you for listening to today's episode with Magda Shakalis. As a global procurement leader, she shared her experience being courageous at work, overcoming the expectations and challenges she encountered after becoming a mother of two, and why we should all view our skills as a tent. Magda draws on her experience working across three countries as one of the few women to run a factory and in Chile, South America of all places. I loved her hopes and wishes for DNI in the workplace that they become more systemic and ingrained in how everyone works instead of being dependent on just a pocket of a few people. At Diversely, certainly something we can fully align ourselves behind. Thanks.